Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Here we go. We start a new sermon series on King David. And this morning, I pick up on one of the best-known stories in history. It is arguably the most famous one-on-one battle ever, David versus Goliath. Now, the reason I picked to do this was after doing some research, which was fascinating, what I found is that most Christians misunderstand the meaning of the battle between David and Goliath. And that's because typically what preachers have done is said, see, what we have here is David is the underdog, Goliath is the giant, David screws up enough confidence and faces his fears, and is victorious. The problem with that is it's not true. None of that is true. When you begin to dig into the text, and you begin to study the historical background of this battle, that is not what's going on. So, because we don't have a lot of time, we're not going to go all the way through the chapter. I'm just going to set it up for you, and then we'll just look at a few verses, okay? So here's the setup. Israel is a kingdom created by God, called by God, to be his kingdom of priests. Their job was to bring the nations of the world to worship the one true God. Their job and the church's job, by the way, is the same. Now, to begin with, God says, go to this place called Cana. Today we call it Israel. Go in there and kick the foreigners out. He said, and here's why. Because God sees in the future, he said, if you allow them to stay, they will lead you away from me. And he said, beside that, I'm executing judgment on them because they're so barbaric. So, for example, they sacrificed their first child in the fire. Always. Their daughters were often, especially the younger daughters, were sold into temple prostitution at like 13. And so God said, I've put up with this long enough. Go battle them, drive them out of the nation, take it for yourself. And the reason he picked that strip of land was because if you were from Greece or Rome or Egypt and you wanted to trade with the Persians or the Indians, guess where you had to travel through? Israel. He said, so you're going to set up this society that is just and fair, where there is never to be a hungry widow or orphan. And so when people travel, and you're supposed to be completely hospitable to strangers. So when when they travel through this land, they'll say, what is this? We've never seen this before. And you say, that's because we worship the one true God, and so can you. That's a living example. Israel didn't do it. And one of the foreign invaders that they didn't drive out were the Philistines. The Philistines were seafaring people that came from Greece, landed on the west coast of Israel, and immediately began to try to divide Israel in half. So, Saul is chosen to be the first king, human king, of Israel. He was chosen because he was a foot taller than anyone else in Israel. He was considered the fiercest warrior. 
The Philistines and Israel meet for battle. They happen to meet at the Valley of Elah. If you got that slide, Chris, show them the Valley of Elah, picture of it to today. Dad's been there. So here it is. It's a wide valley with these ridges up there. Now, each army was camped on a ridge facing each other. Now, anybody who knows anything about military history means they were at a standoff because neither army wanted to rush up a hill to their enemy. Now, there's all kinds of military reasons for that. I don't have time to go into it, but trust me, especially in ancient combat, you wanted the higher ground, always. So Israel wasn't willing to go down in the valley and up the ridge. The Philistines were not willing to go down the valley and up the ridge. They're at a standstill. So the Philistine says, here's what we'll do. We'll send out a champion. Now, this was common in ancient warfare. If you were at a standstill, they'd say, okay, you pick your best warrior. We'll pick our best warrior. They will fight. Whoever wins, wins the entire battle. And that's how we'll decide it. And so the Philistines send out, Miss Kayla, you can come forward now. She's going to help me out. The Philistines send out Goliath. Now, here's what we know. We don't exactly know how tall Goliath was because the Bible says they measured his height in cubits. The problem is cubits were measured different ways in different places. Now, here's what they saw. According to archaeologists, come on over, the average Israeli, uh, at that, Israeli man at that time was about 5'3", five, 5'4", five, at that time. Five, three and a half. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. And by the way, it's her birthday. Happy birthday. Um, now, right over here, you stand right there. According to most estimates, this is how tall Goliath was. Can you see why they were a bit intimidated? The Israelites all said, yeah, we're not going out there. You know, that's them. This is Goliath. They're like, are you kidding me? He's standing there wearing armor weighing 120 pounds. Thank you. So, you can see why they were intimidated. David is a shepherd boy. His brothers are in the army. He tell, his mama tells him, take some homemade food and go see your brothers at the battlefield. Take him some food. So, he goes. And this is where we pick up 1 Samuel 17, 31 through 58. Let's go. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. Now, what he said was this. David shows up, and he hears Goliath down there going, Who will come battle me? Who will come fight? And David said, Is no one here got the guts to fight? Here's this, like, 14, 15-year-old kid going, Are you all a bunch of wussies? Come on, man, let's go. And I'll show you why he's saying that, and this is reported back to Saul. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, and during this time, that, that was in the Middle East, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, which means he usually would just knock it down, I seized it by hair, struck it, probably with a dagger, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because, here's where it comes in, 
because he has defied the armies of the living God. So when David's sitting there going, I've killed bear and lion, he's not telling Saul, I know I'll win because I'm so skilled. He's saying, I have the skills, but I will win because he has defied the armies of the living God. And God promised in his word that foreigners came up against us and defied God, we would win. David's confidence is not in himself, it's in the word of God. So the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Now, the bronze helmets that they put on were kind of like beanies. And the reason for that is, back then, swords were often very hard. It was very difficult to keep them sharp. Typically, it was a new sword that was sharp. It was hard to keep a sword sharp. You really had to work to keep it sharp, especially out in the elements back then. So, you know, most swords for most soldiers were used basically like clubs. And the first thing they try to do is club you over the head. And so you had a helmet to try to protect you from that. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around, but because he was not used to them, he said, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream. Now, here's something I found in my research. This is interesting. In the valley of Elah, the rocks there are twice as dense as stones anywhere else in the Middle East. They're very, very dense. That's why, even though his pouch, he would have had stones already, he chose stones from there. He put his shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand and approached the Philistine. Now, before we go any further, show them what the sling looked. This is not a slingshot. This is a sling. That is what it looked like. Okay, now, quick tangent. The sling was deadly. Absolutely deadly. The book of Judges said a good slinger could hit his or her target within a hair's breadth. They would practice with these things constantly. Today, using that, one guy threw a rock 447 yards. That's nearly five football fields. The Roman legions later had four different types of soldiers. You had infantrymen with their swords, javelin, or spear. You had cavalry. You had archers, and you had slingers. One of the reasons you were not willing to run up a hill was because slingers would be just sitting there waiting on you. You're running, getting tired out, and they're like, come on. Next verse. So keep that in mind. It was a deadly, deadly weapon. Meanwhile, the Philistine, now notice this, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. Now, the Hebrew there means he's kind of walking, lumbering in front and behind his shield bearer, which means he does not even have his shield. He's so cocky, he's moving without his shield. Now, there's another problem with that. Hold on. Why was Goliath so big? Scientists now know there is a medical condition that popularly is referred to as gigantism, 
where if you get a benign tumor on your pituitary gland, it produces too much human growth hormone, and you just keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. One such person, subject of a recent documentary that some of you may have seen, was Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant had this disease. When he died, he was still growing, and he was seven foot four, 500 pounds. That guy he's holding there is about 6'2", 6'3". So that is what causes Now, the thing about this medical condition, though, is this. One of the things that happens with this medical condition is it produces poor eyesight. So most scholars are of the opinion that the shield bearer was out in front of him with his shield, one, because he was cocky, didn't want a shield, second, because he needed somebody to lead him where to go. He couldn't see. Are you starting to doubt who the underdog is here? Next verse. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Now, he says sticks, plural. David's only holding one stick. Now, for a long time, scholars believed that what he was doing was calling David a stick. And that may have been true. But the other thing is, you often have double vision. And so he may have seen two sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Notice he says, he doesn't say, I'm, he doesn't just take off after him. He says, come here. Why? He wants close combat. He has a sword and a javelin. He wants close combat. He wants to get up close because that's the only way he could see. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Now, that's as important. Stay there for a second. The name of the Lord does not mean there's something magical about Yahweh or Jehovah. Okay, if you don't believe me that this is Christianity, not Harry Potter, go ahead tomorrow, say Yahweh and Jehovah a dozen times, buy a Powerball ticket, and let me know how it goes. This is not a magical incantation. The name of the Lord was shorthand for the will and purpose of the Lord. And David knew the will and purpose of the Lord was to drive out all those who worshipped false gods so that Israel could be pure, so that those who were really seeking the one true God when they walked through Israel could find him. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Notice, not reading for children. Most people treat the Old Testament like the Old Testament is full of all these Disney stories, and the New Testament is for the adults. Okay, like I said before, try that with your kids, right? You ever try through reading the Old Testament with your kids? Honey, then the angel of the Lord struck down the firstborn of everyone in Egypt. Good night, buddy. <laughs> Sleep tight. Daddy, we put some blood on the door before you go to bed? I mean, you can't, it's, that's not true, Right? There's a lot of stuff in here you do, you do not want to read to your kids, especially in the book of Judges. And I'll strike you down, cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. A God, singular. 
All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Do you see where David's confidence is? As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Now, at this point, I guarantee you there are all kinds of Philistines at first... David's walking down. They can't see. He's got a staff. They can't see what else he's holding. And all of a sudden, he drops the staff. He starts running. They see the sling, and the Philistines are going, uh, uh, uh-oh. Uh, this may not go well. And reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistine saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. All right, that's all i got time for now. Go ahead and step because I haven't got time to go all the way through it. But here's what they have found. Especially Malcolm Gladwell did an entire chapter on, in his book, David and Goliath. He actually had a team in the Valley of Elah. They took those rocks. They had a professional slinger sling it at a target. They measured its velocity, its impact. They found that someone skilled with a sling could, sling, could throw that rock anywhere from 60 to 100 miles an hour. And that once that rock impacted, it had the same impact as a 45 Magnum. Who's the underdog? How many of you have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Remember this scene? Goliath brought a knife to a gunfight. Who's the underdog? It's Goliath. It's not, it's not David. It doesn't matter that he's little. It doesn't matter that he has no mail on. I mean, let's put it this way. I love, love, love the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe. But if somebody said, okay, Matt, put down betting money, between Russell Crowe and Gladiator, his character, and Dirty Harry with his 44. It's it's a no contest. A slinger beats an infantryman any time. David was a slinger. So, this whole story cannot be about how an underdog can defeat their fear and all this other kind of stuff by having enough confidence. Goliath had a lot of confidence. How'd that turn out for him? No, that's not what this story is about. This story is not about David trusting in his confidence. It is not about David envisioning victory and following it through. It is about David saying, God promised that anybody defied him in his land would be defeated. You've defied him. You will be defeated. That's the way it is. That's what this story is about. Trusting in 
the word and promises of God. When can you have confidence? When God has said, this will happen. That's when you can have confidence. Having too much confidence in yourself, I mean, look, every MMA fighter I've ever seen, I love watching MMA, every MMA fighter I've ever seen had confidence. You don't get in that octagon without confidence. And I remember watching the last time Johnny Bones Jones fought. And, and, and the guy, he was, say, he was saying, ah, oh, he's been off for a year. He's been on drugs. I'm going to take him down. He's not a wrestler. I'm a professional. I'm an Olympic wrestler. I'm going to take him down. Two minutes later, he was going, where am I? He had confidence. He envisioned his victory. He got his butt handed to him. Confidence in ourselves will only take us so far. Confidence in God will always take us where God wants us to be. Always. Always. And what has God promised? God has promised that if you place your faith in him, no matter what kind of life you have, when your life ends, you will go to be with him eternally. He has promised that. He has promised to return, judge the living and the dead, he has promised to set up a new heavens and new earth where there is no sin, no sickness, no death. That you can have confidence in. That you can have confidence in. Confidence in, look, this is people who take this and go, see, there's nothing to fear out there. Yes, there is. Are you crazy? Have you driven in this county? It's this close from being Mad Max Fury Road out there. You can't, am I the only one who sits at a green light for three seconds because everybody runs the red light? Yeah, I'm afraid. I don't know how many times I've almost been run off the road by the 16-year-old girl going, you know, I, there are things to fear. My wife's like, I don't like you having that shotgun in this room. I'm like, we're in the home invasion capital of southern Ohio. I'm keeping the shotgun in the room. That's just the way it is. Yes, there are things to fear out there. We were in men's Bible study uh, yesterday. For those of you who don't go, you should. Um, Pat Apel leads a Bible study on Saturday mornings at, at, at 8 o'clock. And we, we watch a video by Matt Chandler. He's one of my favorite preachers down in Dallas, Texas. And, and he was talking yesterday about now, there's this video on YouTube, you can go watch it, where guys go up behind goats. If you can get up behind a goat and go, ah, the goat will lock up and fall over. So it's like cow tipping with your voice. You know, and when, when this was shown to guys, guys like, you know, so, so many guys like this YouTube video went viral, and then the problem was grown men were going into petting zoos trying to wait till like the zookeepers were away and trying to sneak up behind the goat, and they were like taking turns to see how fast they get the goat to fall over. Okay, that, you do that because that's a goat. You don't do that with a lion. If somebody went up behind a lion or a cougar or a panther and went, ah, and it fell over, I guarantee you, I don't care how viral that goes, guys aren't sneaking into the pens of an apex predator going, ah. Why? Because you should be afraid. That's stupid. That's dumb. Yes, there are things to be afraid of. 
And yes, you can have confidence in yourselves about certain things. Some of you are good at business. Some of you are good at math. Some of you are good. That's, that's fine. That's a God-given gift. God bless you. Run with it. Do your best with it. But the simple fact is, things can change. The entire culture can change like that, and your skill set may not be needed anymore. Anybody want to go study typewriter repair? Right? Things change. They just change. But the Word of God does not change. The promises of God do not change. David was not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. He had a tripwire temper. And to make sure that I don't get in trouble, and you can take it up with Dad because I'm quoting him, he had a fast zipper. He liked to fight, and he liked the ladies. But, see, here's the difference between God, I mean David, and the other people of God. See, back when David was king, for example, and Dad will talk about this in a couple weeks. Dad will talk in a couple weeks about David and Bathsheba. I, whew, that should be interesting. Um, when David is confronted by Nathan the prophet, for stealing another man's wife and murdering him, Nathan says, you have violated the law. Now, typically, what happened with kings in the Middle East, they would say, one, change the law. I'm the king. I say that law is no longer valid, and I'm making it retroactive. Two, I'm going to kill you. What does David do? David says, against the Lord only have I sinned. And I will take whatever punishment he deals out. Later on, as king, and I'll talk about this in a couple weeks, later on as king, he violates the word of God. He has a census without asking God first. An angel comes to him and says, you have a choice. As your punishment, you can be handed over to your enemies or you can be handed over to the hands of God. He said, I'll always be handed over to the hands of God. David trusted the word of God and worshipped God only and always repented when he did something evil and stupid. Okay, all that being said, because i got to wrap up. i got ten minutes. We'll get out of here. That's not where the story ends. Because the Bible says, Jesus says, in, in John 5, 39, he says all Scripture points to him. Now, when he says all Scripture points to him, when he's saying that at that time... His Bible was the Old Testament. New Testament hadn't been written yet. So Jesus is saying the entire Old Testament points to me. So how does this story point to Jesus Christ? In Hebrews 11, in Hebrews 11, you have this long list of people from the Old Testament. Noah did this in faith. Abraham did this in faith. Moses did this in faith. David did this in faith. And then you get to 12 too, and it basically says, but Jesus is greater than all of them. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, and I'll come back because that word pioneer, some of your translations say author, but you can also translate that champion. Jesus, the champion and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, 
scorning its shame, and sat down at the right-hand throne of God. Now, keep that up for a second. What is the joy set before him that would let him go and be tortured and slaughtered? His joy? You. For you, each one of you, he went to the cross. And Hebrews 12, 2 says he was our champion. Champion meant somebody who fought for you when the armies are to stand still. And whoever wins the battle wins the war. Whoever wins the fight wins the battle wins the war. And Jesus, what the author of Hebrews is saying is Jesus went to the cross to defeat Satan once and for all to save you because you are his joy. His joy was more important than his pain. You see that? Jesus is the greater David. David was willing to risk his life to give God's people temporary freedom. David was willing to kill to give God's people temporary freedom. Jesus was willing to die to give us all eternity. So Jesus is the greater David. One preacher put it this way, a guy named Tim Keller up up in New York City. He said, David may have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, but Jesus embraced certain death. And that's why Jesus is the greater David. What you're going to see as we walk through the stories of David is they all point to Jesus Christ. And the author at the time probably didn't know. God inspired them to write this. He wrote it, but he probably didn't know what he was actually writing. So, why all this is cool. It's cool. Look, I'm a military geek. I love that stuff. I volunteered for the military several times, and, and I end up ripping my ab open, and I was 30-some years old, and they're like, yeah, you're old and injured. No, thanks. And, but I tried, and I love this stuff. And so why this stuff is fun, it's stuff to look at, you know, oh, man, Goliath was this big. I mean, he, could, he would have patted Shaquille O'Neal on his head, right? That's how big he was. I understand that. It's cool to learn that a sling, a good slingsman can actually sling that thing with the velocity of a 45 Magnum. That's cool. I dig all that stuff. And I, it's fine if that's what you take away. But what I really want you to take away is this. Everything in the Old Testament in some way, shape, or form points to Jesus Christ because Jesus himself says that in John 5. It all points to me. He told the Pharisees and Sadducees, he said, you guys study your scripture, but you get it wrong because you don't see that it points to me. They missed it. You can study your Bible all day long, but if you don't see that it points to Jesus, not you, you won't get it. You won't get it. This story is not about confidence. I'm all for confidence. But you can be overconfident. Goliath? This is about Jesus Christ, who is our champion. 
I had a wedding yesterday. It's been a long, long, long weekend. I had a wedding rehearsal Friday night, men's Bible study, a wedding, preached last night, preached this morning. But yesterday in the wedding, you know, it was really cool to, to officiate Tyler in Arizona's wedding. We hated to lose them because, you know, they're a great couple, but he got a really good job up north. But I told them, I said, you need to understand something. You as a couple, when I was meeting with them individually, I said, you as a couple are going to get on each other's nerves. It's the same way in a church. You get enough people together, somebody's going to get on somebody's nerves. I think some churches are held together just by lack of communication. People will rub. It just happens. And the only way people of faith and, 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 and Christians who wed, the only way they can stay together is to keep in mind the sacrifice of Jesus Christ every single day. That you have not earned this life. You have certainly not earned your eternity. It is all grace. Every breath you have is, is a gift from God. The eternity you have is a gift from God. Jesus is our champion. We wouldn't have it without him and, and if you don't keep that in mind, you will become selfish, you will become nasty, and you'll have an unhappy life. You just will. Whew, I'm done. Um, before we quit, real quick, two things. One, if you have not signed up your kids or grandkids or whatever for VBS, please do so. If you can volunteer during VBS, please do so. I cannot tell you how much work Mom, Norman, Becky, Michelle, Sarah, all these people have put into this. They're incredible. Carla, so many people have worked hard for this. So um, we're going to get ready. We're going to be putting together this huge stage up here. So, you know, Dad next week will be preaching in front of a something out of Disneyland. But anyway, it, it's it, it, it's going to be really cool. So if you can do that, please sign up as soon as possible. That's one. Two, next week when we continue on in this series, Dad is preaching on the Psalms. Now, a lot of people don't understand what the Psalms are. They don't understand that David wrote a lot of the Psalms. In men's Bible study yesterday, he was talking about how amazing it is that God picks such obscure people. Because when God picked David, he was literally out in the field playing a harp. A harp, folks. Not a Gibson Les Paul, a harp. How many people see a guy playing a harp and go, well, there's a warrior king right there? God saw it. Somehow God saw beyond that and saw that. And so, Dad will be picking that up. Well, what are the Psalms? Why do we sing and worship? Like I said, he'll be picking that up next week. So that's a little preview. So let's pray and we'll get out of here. Whew, Heavenly Father, I thank you for another worship service. We thank you for these people. We thank you for the graduates. We ask that you go with them and that all of us here pray for them. We just pray, Heavenly Father, that we can read your scriptures rightly and always keep in mind what you have done for us as our champion. David freed the Israelites, but you freed us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God go with you. Save me a seat at the restaurant. See you. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.